Doesn't love a little bit of wah chicka wah wah. Bow, bow. It's that classic sound of the seventies exploitation, bit of black exploitation. It's also your uh, your entrance theme, isn't it? It's my jam. <laughs> exploitation. That's right. Exploitation. <laughs> okay, putting you on the spot just for a second. Like, um, <laughs> what's your favourite application of wah chicka wah wah? Uh. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, well, anytime anyone <laughs> makes any kind of sexual innuendo, <laughs> I, in my head, that's the sound that I hear when they say it. It's not a it's not like a, even when it's in, even when they don't realize it. It's like, oh, do you mind if I come over? I was going to say it's not like a it's not <laughs> not like a bedroom favorite. Yeah, in my head, like in my head, I'm going my back. No. <laughs> You go through the the what chicka what wah to the dunk, 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 dunk. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I do it so much that it turns into the Seinfeld theme song. <laughs> well, who hasn't? Like you know, when you say the same word over and over again and it loses all meaning. Who hasn't gotten off to that? Yeah, yeah. Glamour magazine. And then your Glamour. mum barges through the door like Kramer. Well, in this instance, the music that you are hearing in the background is from the organisation, 1971. Which is the third instalment of the Mr. Tribs. Which is the third instalment. They install- call me Mr. Tribs. <laughs> the Mr. Tibbs trilogy. It's Captain Trips. Isn't that like a really fucking weird franchise? I I thoroughly enjoy that franchise, but yeah. like <laughs> I mean, like how far that series came from In the Heat of the Night to the organisation. Like you put those bookends together and yeah. Mr. Tibbs is a very different person. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't Quite a different. It. But I, like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is much better as a fish out of water. Yeah. Kind of, kind of film, and if they had had done that, like every time he goes on holiday or any time he goes, <laughs> like that's when it happens. And it becomes he has like to a, solve a, a Mr. Smith, Mr. Deeds kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious to think of. Like if they, if if the Mr. Tibbs from the organisation, um, or they call me Mr. Tibbs, had gone to the south like he did in the first one, like it'd be a much different story. Yeah, you know? much wiser, like streetwise. That is. <laughs> And of course, you've got the TV show, like expanding the franchise. Sure, you're a fan of that. I uh, I did, but I, 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 funnily enough, I felt that the the um, the Tibbs the Tibbs character took way too much shit. I, I only I only remember I bought I, I bought it on DVD. <laughs> of course, you um, did. from Dixon's or something like that. I, I picked up a secondhand copy, and I only got through. I only watched the first episode. Right. Um, where they're all still kind of <laughs> super, like everyone's super racist. Yeah, right. And, but and, yeah, but it's it's unlike they didn't they didn't period set it. Yeah. So it's in the eighties, which is so, weird. Yeah. So it's a lot of the racism that you're like, uh, like, they're, like the guys are rapping. <laughs> like there's there's weird, you know. Did they ever? Did he ever do the they call me Mister Tibbs like in the show? I don't know because because no because it's it is a different setup. Like in that one, he's brought in. Yep. He's not. I don't believe from memory. He's not there for 
like just passing through yeah, yeah. at night. He's stationed there. He's <laughs> yeah, he's transferred there. Like he's come back home. Like yeah, he grew yeah. up in that town. All oh, right. And, and yet and yet the main cop's character is essentially uh, another version of the the character. Yeah. yeah. It's Carol it's Carol O'Connor versus uh, Rod Steiger, <laughs> but is, he's playing the same thing. Oh god, anyway, that essentially introduces our theme for this episode, which is obscure movie franchises. And let's pick that apart in a moment. But first, uh, you know what's coming. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Welcome to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast crammed with nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and if I were an obscure film franchise, I'd probably be Tetsuo, because doesn't make doesn't make much fucking sense, but it's essential. <laughs> <laughs> and my faithful co-host is none other than Mr. Ben Helwig, who I would describe as a Hell Comes to Frogtown kind of guy. Fucking earth. And it's dodgy sequels. <laughs> Particularly the second like, sequel. Sterile? Like, are you saying I'm the only I'm the last jizz producer? Like a viable jizz producer? That's very unrealistic. Like, it's very unrealistic. And I pity the world if that was the case. How are you? Good. I imagine my sperm are like swimming like that Simpsons episode where they got Homer's sperm and they're just bumping into each other. Bonk. Bonk. Well, welcome to everybody. Um, I've been keeping an eye on social media lately, and there's been quite a few new listeners to the to the party, so that's good. Oh, fantastic! Um, most Who? Of, most of whom I will assume are here. Do you know for their names? Nerdy cinematic ramblings. I can find them for you. Yeah, I'd like and to and then know. put them out there to the world for everyone else to know. Shame, name, and shame. It is a pleasure to have you all on board. Um, I hope you do get something out of what we do. Um, we could just add them to our wall. We've got all our listeners. Oh, is this like, like your Philip Seymour Hoffman wall from Happiness? I was going to say like the, <laughs> the video defaulters wall from the big hit. <laughs> so it's not, you know what I'm Where talking they, about. It's a wall of, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I just feel like I've already made too many jizz jokes already this episode. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just a wall. We've got, we've got their profile pictures and their names up on a wall. And we, so, I mean, usually, because usually we only talk to Simon and maybe Jack. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, like I want to, uh, uh, I want to pitch this to the people, the newbies that are on the, on the show. When we talk about movies that you've never heard of, obscure random stuff or stuff that you haven't seen, write them down, make a note of it, and then pop back onto our social media after you've watched it and share your thoughts. Like it would be good to actually get those comment sections, you know, a little bit of activity, engage with us because that's what we're all about. And you can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Those are our platforms. Um, Facebook is our preferred point of contact, and we do put lots of video content out there every single week. Uh, what else? Have we? We've got a TikTok account, which if you're, if you're more interested in just those bite-sized pieces of... Um, Us dancing. <laughs> singing, <laughs> dancing, tapping, <laughs> you know. Filming our dogs <laughs> doing silly things. And finally, we do have a website, goodmoviemonday.com, where everything we do is pretty much um, catalogued in one nifty place. Today's show, as I said, all oh, about... And letterboxed. Oh, I was going to get to that later, oh, but okay. no, Ben is um is keen. He's eager. I thought you were talking about all like all the places that we're at. I thought it was just a it was a obvious. Uh, I, usually, I suppose it was too too obvious a gap. <laughs> it's usually the end of the show. Yeah. If you enjoy what we've spoken about and want to go for it, sell it. I put down I list all the films <laughs> that we talk about on the letterbox, <laughs> so you don't have to rewind the podcast to listen to it again. <laughs> it's on the letterboxed. Yep. And Letterbox doesn't have an E at the at the end of it. It's just Letterbox with an apostrophe D, <laughs> with no apostrophe. I'm lost already. I'm lost already. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm good on the radio, Glenn. <laughs> the guys from the Bonehead Weekly podcast in America are also going to be exploring this theme a little bit further. Chloe as well from Movie Night with the Richie Girls podcast. She's going to be looking at a weird franchise. We also have Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm to bring you all of this week's movie news. And of course, this guy, Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures, who's about to take a look at what's been released this week on Home Entertainment. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm going to start this week's segment with a little news. And that is that Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment are releasing Spider-Man No Way Home on Home Entertainment, on all the Home Entertainment formats, mind you, come April 13th. That is all the Home Entertainment formats that are current. None of those obsolete media that Ben collects. The 4K and Blu-ray are loaded with special features. And just as a side note, I'm kind of disappointed it's not nominated for Best Picture. I mean, they did nominate... Black Panther a few years ago and if we can put our political agendas aside and just call a movie a movie I think we can admit that this film is infinitely better than Black Panther. Then another title from Universal Sony that's streeting on April 20 from the Studio Canal catalogue is the highly anticipated Wormwood follow-up Wormwood Apocalypse. Now if you didn't see this one in cinemas shame on you but this is your opportunity to make good by picking it up on home entertainment and the good news is it's getting a blu-ray and dvd release we can only hope that the blu-ray is as loaded with as much special feature content as the original film. Then lastly Universal Sony have tentatively titled for April 20 P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza. However, there's no details at this stage as to whether it will be released on Blu-ray or solely on DVD. Now, the US and the UK are getting Blu-ray, but that doesn't mean that we'll get Blu-ray here, unfortunately, so we can only cross our fingers and maybe pray. Pray to whatever god uh, you pray to. Then moving on to this week's releases, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment are releasing the Godfather Trilogy. It's the 50th anniversary collection and it's coming out on Blu-ray, but more importantly, it's coming out on 4K Ultra HD. The good news is all four films have been remastered and restored in 4K with Dolby Vision and HDR10. I say all four because it does contain both cuts of The Godfather 3. There's a bunch of new special features as well as all the legacy special features so this is pretty much an ultimate addition to pick up and I will be doing so. Then, coming out from Madman is the worst person in the world. Madman's only releasing this one on DVD. It's been a bit of an indie hit. It's a Norwegian dark comedy romance, and it's even up for two Oscars, including Best Foreign Film or Best International Film, maybe they call it these days, and Best Original Screenplay. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. All right, man. So in your mind, what constitutes a franchise? Well, we had we did have this conversation off mic because I wasn't hundred percent sure. <laughs> like I, it's a it, it is a weird question because is it just a bunch of movies that all share the same name with a number after them, or do the main characters have to well channel through in the series? In economic terms, a franchise is practically anything you've expanded. So you yeah. know, by definition, that's more than one. So you could have two things but in my mind a franchise is three or more i don't know why just the way i think and then when it does weird things like creates another media component perhaps like television or games or a spin-off of some sort. yeah um but for today's episode i'm personally going with the whole three or more i've gone three or more as well okay uh I think my second one's only four, <laughs> so I just uh, well, kept I mean, it in there. But, but then it begs the question, what makes an obscure franchise? Because that's uh, that's the theme for today, and everyone came at me when I pitched this to people. Well, I didn't even pitch it. I said, this is what we're doing. 
obscure film franchises and they're like what's obscure and yeah. i'm like okay so now it's open to interpretation <laughs> you pick a franchise and you give us your reason why you think it's obscure oh you, i i have not planned <laughs> i have not planned why i think it's i think it'd be self-evident yeah and i think so, well, like the first one that i'm going to talk about yeah i think is only it's obscure to us okay to to, to i reckon to film nerds yeah but I also reckon there is a <laughs> massive amount, there's like a huge part of the population, yeah. maybe not of Australia, but especially of America, that will be very familiar with this. It will not be obscure. Okay, cool. Well, we can, um, we can discuss that in yeah. a minute. I'm going to go first, though. Um, I'm just going to go right into it. The gods must be crazy. This is, um, you know, not a lot of people know that this had five installments, right? Most I people, certainly didn't. Most people only know of the first two, which were the theatrical... They were huge. These movies, The Gods Must Be Crazy 1 and 2, were like phenomenons around the world. Like, they really were huge. Like, in the 80s, as a kid, it didn't get much funnier to me than this movie. I remember watching them at, um, my parents used to put me into, a, like, a holiday program mm. in primary school. <laughs> down at the old Oakley Mechanics Institute. <laughs> and that's where I watched uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Wow. Well, this, um, this series, I'm going to go into it a little bit here. I was going to say, though, yeah. did you... Then immediately after watching the first film, yeah. did you beat the bejesus out of somebody with a Coke bottle? <laughs> no, but I clicked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like this movie, um, let's go into it. It, it began in the, um, what year was it? 1980, the first one came along and director Jamie Oyce, which is a hard name to pronounce. Because it's pronounced, uh, it's, it's spelt U-Y-S. And I've always said U's, right? But, or U-S. Yeah, I'm not good. Yeah. But I had to look Oops. it up because I'm like, oh, I can't fuck this up. But it's Oice. Oice. Um, he made the first installments, um, which were, like I said, worldwide hits. For anyone who's never seen a Gods Must Be Crazy film or know what it's about, it's really unique. It's basically presented kind of like a documentary meets screwball comedy. It's kind of got a bit of both in it. It really Set is. Set in the Kalahari Desert, and it follows the adventures of a tribal bushman who discovers a Coca-Cola bottle that's been flung from a plane, and he's there when it lands. Yeah. And obviously, he's never been introduced to Western cultures, so he doesn't know what it is, and he assumes that it's a gift from the gods. And he takes the bottle back to his tribe, and they assume it's a gift from the gods, and they put this Coke bottle to all sorts of uses. It's a tool, and it's a magnifying glass that creates fire. You know, it is a gift from the gods, but the problem is it also causes a lot of jealousy and division. Yeah, it and automatically starts corrupting yeah, the, the village. Yeah. It's, the tribe. It, it introduces them to Western attitudes that, you know, starts to really, like you said, corrupt their, their way of life. And so, <laughs> so they send this tribeman whose name is Nixu with an exclamation mark in there. His name is <laughs> NX exclamation mark U. And that's actually how it's spelled. Nixu. They send him to trek to the, um, to be on their lands to throw the bottle off the edge of the world. So that is essentially the gist of the first movie, and it's narrated by um, a narrator, like a South African, I think, a narrator. Yeah. And then, um, funny stuff. But then part two comes along. It's a similar. But isn't there all? Isn't there also like, uh, like a Alan Quatermain type safari guy and a. Oh yeah, the, the kind of uh, uh, their stories kind of cross. That's more part two, but yes, it, it does happen right. in part one. There's like it's a very like Albie Mangles type. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I was thinking it's like Albie Mangles, like those World <laughs> Safari videos, and but, he's got like with a beautiful girl that and he it's picks all, up. It's comedy in the style of Benny Hill because it's all like fast motion kind of when they run, it's like sped up and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And he's, he falls over a lot. Yeah, the guy, he's like a like a pratfall. He's, like he's a klutz. 
Yeah, he's like a, some mothers do have him kind of. <laughs> Frank Spencer. Frank Spencer type. <laughs> and then um, part two came along and it was practically the same thing. Only this time the, the whole uh, gist of the story was Nick Sue was looking for his two kids who had fallen into a water tank on the back of a truck. So he's following right. the truck prints, which, you know, he's a trucker. So he knows how to track things, right? It's pretty easy when there's big when prints. When it's tire tracks, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And if that's not weird enough, the franchise gets so bizarre after that because even though these two movies were global, you know, phenomenons, in China, they were particularly big. Like, they absolutely made a gazillion dollars in China. So then the Chinese produced three sequels of their own and they right. got Nick Su back. So it's the same guy in all of them. And the the third one was called Crazy Safari, which you might remember in the video stores. Crazy Safari made it here on, on video. Yeah. Um, I thought that was an Albie Mangles tag. <laughs> Tagline, Gods Must Be Crazy 3 for dumb Westerners that don't understand. You know? yeah. Me. <laughs> and then guy. the fourth one, actually, I remember all of these on VHS. The fourth one was um, Crazy Hong Kong. And then the fifth one was called The Gods Must Be Funny in China. Yeah, right. And so weird, man. In these sequels, so they take Nixu out of Africa and the, you'd probably get a kick out of the, the third one because... It's a horror hybrid movie. It's about a vampire oh. that terrorizes his tribe. <laughs> Perfect. And then he... But is it like the Chinese vampires? Like yes. the hopping ones? Yes. So the... this was at that time when that, that Chinese horror was coming up again, like rising up like you had... Like we spoke the other week about... um, Was it um erotic ghost stories and ghosts or, or whatever that All was? All those Category 3... Uh... Yeah. But Nixu teams up with a necromancer to defeat the monster. It's so strange, man. It is yeah. so strange. And there's an even stranger component to that, which I'll talk about in a minute. But then the next one has Nixu accidentally hitching a flight to Hong Kong and then taking on Diamond Thieves. Perfect. Right? Still it in becomes his, like Scooby-Doo. Still in or, his garb, or, his tribe and garb, right? Yeah. He and, solves crime in his... And then the, <laughs> this, this, the TV series spin-off is it becomes like a murder she wrote where it's, <laughs> the gods must be crazy at solving crimes. I know. It doesn't this reek of like they call me Bruce, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it really does. But in the, in the best possible way. Yeah. And then the final movie has him being hired by a Beijing company to lead a track team into the Chinese wilderness and survive. Like it's just it's it's pretty much recreating the the appeal of the first one, right? Um, without all that crazy hijinks of diamond thieves and fucking vampires. But number three, this is the weirdest thing of all to me. I don't know why, but the actor, the American actor Conrad Janus from Mork and Mindy, is like the villain in Crazy Hong Kong. Like what? What kind of actor? Gets a script for like crazy Hong Kong and goes, fuck yeah, I'll do it. Like, unless it's just the appeal of a free trip. <laughs> yeah, it probably was, uh, you know, they'll pay you a full rate. Oh, okay then. Uh, you can go to China. Oh, that's all right. And I've been looking, like these films are all available on YouTube, but none of them in English, right? Because then I realized that they've all been made in Chinese, Mandarin. And the ones we got were, were dubbed for us. Yeah, Which right. is, you know, just... I don't know, strange, because the original two films were for us. And they could be completely different. <laughs> like I, I've learned over the years not to trust dubbing and subtitling. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Particularly, like I, I always wonder what people that speak that language like think when think. They, they watch. Like I've, I've watched, dubbed. I've watched. My uncle and aunt came over from Austria about ten years ago, and <laughs> I, at, I was working at the video store at the time, and I was just looking for movies that had German language tracks that they could watch while they were. Because they were they were like staying with us, yeah. So I, <laughs> I bought home Erin Brockovich, <laughs> and we put it on, and then we put the English subtitles on for for me, yeah. And mum and dad are watching it, and they're like, "That's not what they're saying. <laughs> That's not the subtitles are completely different to what they're saying in German." <laughs> but were the subtitles aligned with what you knew of the film? 
Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Mm. Well, there was the thing. I, so I, it's the I dubbing went, that's wrong. It's the dubbing that was. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, but I do remember <laughs> that. I remember laughing my ass off when she does that. Uh, you got two left feet and fucking ugly shoes in German. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that goes. Yeah. I'll have to track <laughs> that down. Have to look at that. Um, and here's the just before I wrap it up, the even weirder thing. It just keeps spiraling into this weird fucked up. This is why it's obscure, man. There were two other films that were made that were tied in as sequels that weren't actually sequels. So there's one called Jewel of the Gods, which was marketed in so many territories as another Gods Must Be Crazy because the concept was basically the same. But then there's one called There's a Zulu in My Stup. <laughs> and that's the highest grossing film in South Africa at the time. Like, it was huge. I'd never heard of it, right? Yeah. And apparently the two guys that starred in that are like a huge comedy duo in South Africa and they're a black guy and a white guy, but they do blackface, whiteface, and they swap on each other. Right. And, you know, apparently their whole shtick is an anti-racism racism motive and all that, but you couldn't do that now. Even that, no. even with a message like that. You just I think in South Africa you probably can. You reckon? <laughs> if you're swapping? If you're swapping, maybe? Swapping. <laughs> I don't think, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my obscure film franchise. If you haven't seen The Gods Must Be Crazy, let me add a personal story to this also. I recall when I had my video store in the day, I had the double pack of part one and two on the shelf and some customer came in and said to me, look, can I buy that from you? And I'm like, oh, no, it's, you know, it's not an X rental. You know, I, I can't order that in again. And then he wanted to join up and no, borrow it, it straight away. He and, says uh, to me, he goes, oh, look, I'll pay good money for it. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I've got a copy at home. And I said, well, well what, what are you thinking? And he goes, oh, I'll pay you $60. I'm like, all right, come back tomorrow. And I had my copy. I gave it to him for 60 bucks. Then went on to eBay, found out it's 250 bucks, right? right? It's so out of print that, you know, everyone's after it. First thing I did is I went to cash converters and found one for two bucks <laughs> in better condition than the one I had at home. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, you well take done. it away, mate. Your turn. What uh, have you got? I'm interested. I'm curious and I'm fascinated. Well, look, I have been bugging you since you asked me to join you on this show. Even when I was just filling in for Jarrett. Doing PE class. Yeah. Uh, all I've really wanted to talk about is Hallmark movies. Yes, that's true. And so I have chosen my favorite of the Hallmark movies. Mm. And I don't know why it's my favorite because I, thinking about it, there's a couple of other ones that I really like as well. But the Mystery 101 yes. franchise <laughs> is, is possibly my, my favorite. That has them. a multi-pack, doesn't it? It's got, there is a, the, at JB Hi-Fi, you can get a multi-pack of the first four movies. There are seven in the series. Ooh, and there's no giant pack. Uh, and there is no giant pack currently released. Um, you have to talk to, uh, it's probably Biovision. I think yeah, they're yeah. the ones who release all those movies here. Uh, but I believe that they're all on Amazon Prime. Okay. Well, that's um, good. If anyone from Biovision is listening, mega pack, please. Mega pack, please. I'd be very <laughs> interested in that. Um, but this, so this series was created by Robin Bernheim, uh, who... Uh, wrote on shows like MacGyver, Ooh. Remington Steel, Silk Stalkings, She Spies. Do you remember She Spies? I with do. Natasha Henstridge. Oof. We call this pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen Miller uh, and Cameron Estrella's own Cameron Dana. She also, uh, she also wrote for um, Star Trek Voyager. And Lee Goldberg, who wrote the original Monk books that the TV series was based on. He was only allowed to write like one or two episodes of the show, <sighs> even though he was an experienced TV writer, but he wrote the books. Um, and he also... Um, he wrote for The Highwayman with yep. uh, Sam Jones and Baywatch and Sliders. The Highwayman. Is that the one with Jacko? Yeah. 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 The, amazing, uh, the amazing Highwayman. Oh, with the first episode of The Highwayman, Claudia Carvan, uh, Claudia, sorry, no, Claudia Christian, mm -hmm. I think she actually was a show regular, 
but it's Michael Berryman, the Johnny Six Killer guy from um, the Renegade TV series. Um, uh, Sam Jones. Is it Mako is in it? Like the 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 five bikers that he kind of takes on. Yeah, they're all you know B movie Corman greats. I can't remember them all at the top. Of my I head, remember when that debuted. It was huge. I, like it was great. The, there was no kid at school the yep. next day that didn't want like Jacko's <laughs> uh, steel boomerang. <laughs> Mate, and, and Jacko at that point in time, we already knew him so well in Australia that it was so exciting that this that guy he was, got the yeah, show, yeah. yeah. I mean, Oi was like <laughs> his phrase, and he had that, I'm an individual, you can't fool me oh, song. And we all sang amazing. that at school in we other contexts. Um, <coughs> so this this movie is, like, as I said, it's a, it's a it airs on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel in the US, mm. but it's basically a Canadian show, although I believe it is set in the US, or they... they the first, the first three movies are all set in this kind of college town, uh, but then occasionally they do make trips to Seattle and New gotcha. York. Well, you know, eighty percent uh, of what's shot in Canada is America. <coughs> that's right. That is and if right. it's if it's shot in Vancouver, it's supposed to be Seattle. That's right. When you go to when you go to America, you don't recognize anything. Yeah. You go to you go to Canada and you go, this looks like America yeah, and the right. TV. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but so the movies all follow the, like, the main character of Amy Winslow, played by um, Jill Wagner, who. Mm. I was first introduced to uh, on a bench warmer card. I don't know if you remember bench warmers. And bench <laughs> yeah, warmer I cards are fucking do. great. Um, she was one of. The, she's also on Punked mm-hmm. uh, for a while, and she's the co-host of Wipeout. Yep, yep. Uh, yep, yep she yep. was the the one on the mic, kind of talking to the the players after they humiliated themselves it's on the, the show. show with the big balls. Um, and she's a she plays like she's a, a professor of English literature at this university, specialising in crime novels. And her father, because her father is like this. Um, award-winning crime novelist, famous crime novelist. And she teams up with um, <clears throat> this guy, Christopher Polaha. P- P- <laughs> He's like the Canadian Barry Watson, <laughs> like from Seventh Heaven. He pops up in fucking everything. Uh, if you, he's in the he's in the last thing I saw him in, and I was shocked that he was in something that I felt was that high profile. <laughs> but he was in the Condor, the Three Days of the Con- uh, Condor, yep. the Three Days of the Condor TV series um, on, which I think is on Stan, which is mm-hmm. phenomenal. If you haven't seen that, check that out. <laughs> um, but they, you know, and they that's the, they're the kind of because because it's Hallmark. There's always got to be a bit of a romance angle, and they do they fuck around for like six of the six of the seven <laughs> movies. It's you know, it's so chaste. Their relationship is so chaste that it gets a bit frustrating. But they, they, you know, he's the big city detective who's moved to this small town to get a break because he doesn't want to deal with the major crimes. Yep. And she uses her knowledge of crime fiction and the world's greatest <laughs> literary detectives to solve crimes. Yep. And so the yeah, it's it's great. The first the first three movies are all set around the university, the missing yep. students and teacher infighting and that kind of thing. And then they. Then it branches out. Suddenly, they're off to New York, and he's being st- the cops being stalked by a serial well, killer. Well, they have to maintain their credibility. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, if, if every season is the same, you know, it's it loses its, or, or its every la- movie. Its I should luster, say, yeah, uh, it's pretty. Like I, I, I really do enjoy this. I know this you series. Do. Like it's definitely like a. It's you're like a pig in shit right now, my friend. I am. It's <laughs> it's it's much more Murdoch mysteries than um, CSI. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. So if that's the melodrama. Kind of, yeah, if that's the kind of crime kind of stuff you'll like. Then... And I would say this is obscure because most people listening to this, it's fair to say, would never have heard no. of it. 
No, but yep. your wife yeah. probably loves every... Uh... Oh, most likely. Um, Chances but, are I've seen them all in the background. In the background, yeah. <laughs> and the thing that's interesting is the last movie is the first... So that it took a break. They usually produce two movies a year. Uh, and in this case, they took a year off in 2020, obviously because of COVID. Yep. Uh, but the last movie, for the first time in the series, the last film actually left it on a cliffhanger, Ooh. or they did a like a flash forward mm. for two years later, and things had not gone the way <laughs> you uh, had uh, uh, thought they were going to go, and it's driving fans crazy. <laughs> uh, but apparently, according to that, um, uh, whatever his name is, uh, Palaha Christopher. <laughs> Palaha, he's he's the one who's uh, who's let it slip on his Instagram account that a new movie is in production should be in production this year. So hopefully we'll get it towards the end of the year. It'll it'll be out on the on the Hallmark exciting, channel slash exciting, Amazon exciting. Prime. I can't wait. You know, you picking that as your franchise makes me wish I'd pick Jesse Stone, <laughs> which is also a Hallmark uh, mysteries uh, series. But that one, funnily enough, Jesse Stone's a lot darker than most of the others. It is fantastic. Uh, it's great. There's also the, the gourmet. <laughs> the gourmet chef one, which is great, with Brooke Burns and the guy is in the guy who's in a lot of stuff, but I don't know his name. Mm. He's Murdoch's brother in the Murdoch Mysteries. Right, uh, is a Mountie. Um, uh, I mean, Hallmark. What is Hallmark? But if not a franchise making machine, yeah. And there's there's the Matchmaker Murders with um, Danica McKellar. There's uh, the garage. There's the garage sale ones. That's the weirdest one because that's <laughs> that's Leah Thompson, but she's married. Yeah. So there's no romance. Wasn't it originally the chick from Full House? Ah, uh, she or is she? Oh, now I can't remember. Is she the garage sale? I one? think she might be. Maybe it's Leah Thompson's another one. Oh my goodness! Wow, we might maybe well, it is Laurie we've, Lachlan. We've teased but no, because every, but I've teased you with a Hallmark episode, so we are going. We're we going to do one. Because Laurie Lachlan's also in the when when calls the heart or whatever it is that <laughs> series before, but that was all before the university controversy. But there's there's um, Jewel <laughs> and the guy from Eureka are in one where she's like she's a, a home, she's a construction worker who solves crime in her spare time <laughs> in a small town. There's like the the plot. Like the 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 conceit of these of all these shows are fucking amazing. Yep. One there's a wedding photographer one. <laughs> I think what's his name did one. Erica Durance did one where she was a, a wedding caterer who solves crime in her spare time. Well, they're like the um they're like the soft version of the asylum. Like you know they like just pitch us a ridiculous concept and title yep. and we'll make it. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> I love them. I love the Hallmark Channel. I love everything they do. Uh, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad that Amazon Prime and Viavision are bringing this stuff out here. How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com once again. Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday. As always, just here to share a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Judd Apatow talking about This Is Fifty, a planned sequel to the 2012 comedy called This Is Forty. In an interview with the rap, Judd Apatow said, "I've always wanted to make This Is Fifty, and it is time." The 40-year-old virgin, knocked up, funny people, train wreck, king of Staten Island director made the original film based kind of on his own life around that time and he said that the follow-up couldn't be coming at a more perfect time. He said and I quote, I couldn't have done it five years ago and I couldn't do it five years from now so I've been outlining that and I hope it's something we get to do. 
Patel says this is 50 is one of two ideas that he's mulling about for what he's going to tackle next. The filmmaker has a comedy called The Bubble heading to Netflix in April. Sydney Sweeney currently seeing a huge spike in popularity thanks to her role as Cassie Howard in the hit HBO series Euphoria is joining Sony Pictures Spider-Verse. She is joining the cast of Sony's Madame Web, a Marvel Comics adaptation set to star Dakota Johnson in the lead role. No details as to who Sweeney could be playing have been made available. The film is to be directed by S.J. Clarkson, known for a range of TV credits such as Jessica Jones and Succession, and with a screenplay by Morbius Scribes, Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. Plot info on this film has been hard to come by in general. Madame Web in the comics has generally been depicted as an elderly woman connected to a life support system with clairvoyant and precognitive abilities, so there's a chance they're going to change up the character's whole depiction entirely or perhaps even focus on someone else. We'll see how this develops. There's a Play-Doh movie in the works. That's right, there's a Play-Doh film animated feature, to be exact, coming together from E1 and Hasbro. They've already got a screenwriter involved, Emily V. Gordon, who earned an Academy Award nomination for writing The Big Sick with Kumail Ninjani and John M. Chu, known for Crazy Rich Asians, Now You See Me Too, In The Heights, he's going to be producing and potentially directing the film as well. In a statement, Chu and Gordon said, the team looks forward to bringing the audience a moldable, liable, iconically centered story about the importance of imagination. So you can expect something in the vein of perhaps the Lego movie here. And some big television names are coming together for an HBO Max comedy film titled The Parenting. Brian Cox from Succession, Eddie Falco from The Sopranos, Lisa Kudra from Friends, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. They're going to be starring in a film that follows a young couple who hosts a Meet the Parents weekend at a cozy rental house in the country, only to find out that it's already been haunted by a 400-year-old poltergeist. The film is going to be directed by Craig Johnson, whose credits include The Skeleton Twins and Alex Strangelove. That about does it for me everyone, ScreenRealm.com for your latest movie and TV news, trailers, all that jazz. We've also got your latest release schedules for Netflix, Amazon Prime, Shutter, etc. Thanks so much, catch you next week.
Song is just the coolest, gets me excited. Ticket to the Wind by John Stewart from Smokey and the Bandit 3. Oh, you know what? Like, looking for songs for this particular episode, I realized that the soundtrack to Smokey and the Bandit 3 is by far the best of the trilogy. Right. The songs in number no, three. Hang on. Don't they, in the first one, <laughs> Don't, don't they play when it's hot? You when you're hot, you're hot by by Jerry Reed. Doesn't that play in the soundtrack? There, there are great songs in every single one of these. However, number three just seems to really have the bangers, man. Right, have the bangers. Um, Ticket to the Wind. It's what you just heard it. It's a fucking great song. <laughs> what a, that talk about an obscure film franchise, right? Because you had the initial three movies. Um, See, you no, know, I wouldn't have called that an obscure franchise. Well, like the first. The first three aren't in any way obscure. That's it. But then but the then, four, yeah, so yeah, that makes it obscure. What I find amazing about these about these franchises is that back in the day, it was always like the law of diminishing returns. Yeah, where they would they would have a massive hit, and rather than spend, they would just do a cheap cash in. Yes, like they would all be they would get cheaper and cheap. Like Planet of the Apes is a perfect example. Yeah, like yeah, Planet yeah. the last the fourth Planet of the Apes film mm. was bargain basement. Bargain yeah. like like basement, totally. Yeah. Low budget, yeah, and yet now it's the exact opposite. The the, the bigger the Fast original the furious, movie is, the bigger they get. The bigger they get, they have to get bigger and better, and they spend more. Mission Impossible, yeah, all that stuff. So, like you know, if we were living in the seventies or eighties, you know, mm. the the Fast and the Furious by now would have been like a Roger Corman film. Like it just would have just dwindled. Yeah. Well, they still are. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but expensive. Yeah, um, but no, I think it's obscure because when they get to those made for TV ones, there's four installments. It's a much younger bandit, but in a contemporary setting. Like, yeah. they've just flipped it completely. 
whatever the case, uh, great song. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm gonna. You know, it's just as well that you didn't ask m- my opinion because then we would have been listening to the theme for the big for uh, Once Upon a Time in China, which is a phenomenal song. Yes. But uh, we didn't. Well, you didn't. You didn't ask me. <laughs> you didn't ask me. Bank it, mate. Bank it. Um, I'm going to fire off the next one. Um, then let's hear from the Boneheads, and we can come back to your second pick. But uh, I guess this is similar to Smokey and the Bandit in the way it's obscure. Where the Inspector were, Gadget trilogy. There were three. <laughs> there were three proper movies. Two of them were theatrical. One of them was director video, and then there were five TV movies. So it all began in 1986 with the Delta Force with Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, which in my estimation is a fantastic movie. I don't care what anyone says. I think that is a corker of a movie. I think it's well-paced. It's tense. It's offensive. It's just... Lee Marvin is really old and really red-nosed. Yeah, very, very drunk. Isn't Robert Forster playing, doesn't he? Robert Forster plays the terrorist. You know, he's very brown-faced in it. You got Shelley Winters. Anyway, that's that's its own thing. Of course, Shelley Winters is in it. But then part two came along, which was really weird because it's as if they just said, "Hey, we don't need a Delta Force in this movie," and it's just Chuck Norris on a solo mission. Right? It's <laughs> just, it's it just him, becomes a Chuck Norris movie. It's just him taking on Colombian drug lord, like, and that is it. But which then, is basically Invasion USA. Yeah, exactly. Then number three comes along, which you know me with my penchant for really low rent sequels, um, I love it. It's this. It's, I would call it the home brand version of the Expendables. This one, it's, wow! Um, remember home brand. Each of the all supermarkets have home brands. They've got home brands, but the, the Safeway brand. one was actually called home brand. <laughs> remember Franklin's No Frills? Yeah. <laughs> but this one, um, it's hilarious because it stars the sons of A-list Hollywood actors, right? So leading this film, Chuck Norris is out, but Mike Norris is in, right? You've got I like um, Mark Norris. Nick, Survival Game is one of my favourite movies of all Nick time. Nick Cassavetes, son of John. You've got Eric Douglas, son of Kirk, and you've got Matthew Penn, son of Arthur. So <laughs> fucking weird, man. But this, um, the reason Chuck Norris didn't come back for part three is because of a helicopter accident on part two that killed a stuntman. So I love that he's not coming back, but he'll throw his son into it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can do it. Yeah. But how is it that no one like John Landis has dodged those? allegations of killing Vic Morrow and those two kids his entire career, yet I didn't know that. There's been two helicopter accidents on Chuck Norris sets <coughs> where the stunt person's died, or camera person. But I guess they were they were uh, below-the-line talent, so no one cares. And no one's game to take on Chuck Norris. We all know that. <laughs> well, he's been using that total gym for like 20 <laughs> years. That guy's toned and uh, taut and terrific. So that is that. That's the, the crux of the series is those three films. Like I said, I think number three is very underrated. It is very low rent. But then came Operation Delta Force, which was the spin-off tally movies. And they're pretty good. The first one is pretty much another Delta Force movie. It's, it could have made theatrical cut if you know they pushed it that way. Um, and that one was directed by Sam Furstenberg, which is a classic um, canon director that made Revenge of the Ninja. Um, Ninja 3, I think he made. The Domination. 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 American Ninja. American Samurai. Breaking 2. Like, you like to... It's him and uh, who's the guy, who's the guy that did TC two thousand? Oh, I don't know. The... But this guy also he runs that company. He also direct. Oh, not Arby Lerner. Or... No, very. Oh, you're very close. Right. Well, this guy also directed um, the Cyborg Cop movies, which I think in some territories the distributors tried to pass off as the Cyborg series. So that's another fucking weird thing going on there. I'll, <laughs> I'll wait for you to look this up because I know you're going to come up with something. No, no, no. It's it's not the guy I was thinking of. Okay. 
Uh, Operation Delta Force, though, like these five telly movies made in the 90s, like I said, first one's a really good flick. Uh, had Ernie Hudson, Hal Holbrook, and Jeff Fay. That's a good cast. And then the rest of them kind of do that diminishing returns thing, but they're still pretty good. Um, and they pretty much um, do the whole, I guess, they, they bring it back to the, the focus of the Delta Force Navy SEAL type of thing. And that's what I liked about the first, you know, the, the first and third films. <laughs> Because number two, God knows, is just Chuck Norris. But there we go. Operation Delta Force. I think it's pretty obscure. Um, you can actually find all of those films on YouTube for free. You can't find the Chuck Norris ones, although they're worth hunting down in some way wherever they are. There's a... I think I think it was Vivision Vision again. I think they put out a... Or maybe it was Beyond. They put out a Chuck Norris pack. Ooh. Like a... Which had movies that... Uh, they I think they had to withdraw it from sale because there was one on it that they hadn't licensed. Well, <laughs> I remember when like uh, there was some <clears throat> some funny stuff going I on. I remember there. that Delta Force the first one when it got reissued um in the early 2000s on DVD got rebranded with an R rating because 9/11 had just happened and it's yeah, it's theme and and running story of that movie are pretty much <laughs> 9/11. There's, there's nothing I love more than reactionary decisions made by government or uh, major media outlets and corporations. Never mind the Delta Force that existed for what 15 years, you know, yeah. prior. Um but yeah, so a lot of DVDs with Delta Force are R-rated. And there's nothing in the film that's R-rated. Yeah. You know, weird, but great series. All I ask is for Delta Force 3 on Blu-ray and I'll be a happy man. It would be amazing if it happened. <laughs> Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. And we're talking obscure movie franchises. Now, why would a movie franchise be obscure if they made many of them? How could you not know that that was a franchise, gentlemen? Well, because the problem is, I don't. That's not necessarily nowadays, but back then, if a movie for a, a company made even the slightest bit of money, they ring the hell out of it. <laughs> Especially when you could go when you made so much money from tape <laughs> and then deep. Oh, good lord! <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sales. No, we're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. I'll go first. Go. This is by no means the best movie franchise. I don't even know how obscure it is, but I loved these as a kid, and I realized I haven't even seen all of them. There's 13 Puppet Master films. Did you guys know that? Yeah, that was. This was going to be my pick, but I'm like, no, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do this. It's like, I'm glad you did it. <laughs> That's what yes, I said. I, I was go. I thought I would pick the one. I knew there's 13 puppet masters, and I will. I'll be honest to say that I have tried to watch every single one. And Glenn's probably going to scorn me for say this. I cannot. I have not gotten through every single one of them. I have not gotten through every single. I didn't know there were 13. There, there is one in the middle. Uh, Glenn, please don't kill me. It's either seven or eight, but it is literally a soft core porn film with clips of the of the puppets from older movies. <laughs> well, now they, that's something that's been done so many times, though. But so it many. is so obvious. <laughs> to, <laughs> me, to me, one of the people that people, I'll crap on a franchise a little bit. One of those franchises that everybody loves that I always, I was like, I've never, is Phantasm. Phantasm is, oh, 
the I can't believe I never took the time to watch the last one that's written by that one guy that wrote Dragged Across Concrete. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But Puppet Master, The Little is Right. Did you watch it, Chad? No, I have not watched it. I want to because if I'm not mistaken, isn't Thomas Lennon in The Little is Right? Or am yes, I making that yes, up? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we need, these were made by Charles Band. He produced all of them. And we he was one of my favorite film producers, I'll be honest. <laughs> right, we've... Yeah. We've talked about Chuck Charlie Band on here several times. We've everyone who ever worked with him, we've gotten a story out of them. Most of them are really good. Every once in a while, you get one like Courtney Joyner goes, "Actually, Chuck doesn't owe me any money." Or uh, Peter David, Chuck didn't owe me any money. All right, so I'm going to go, and I, I kind of flipped back and forth as to which franchise I wanted to talk about. I'll briefly mention the one that I decided not to say because I don't want to take too much from Glenn. Uh, but I do want to talk about the first movie. This one started out as one really great movie. They decided to make a franchise out of it, The Prophecy. <laughs> there are five Prophecy movies, gentlemen. Five. Is Walken only in the first three? He's only in the first three, and then the last two were made in the same damn year. Vigo Mortensen is in the first one, correct? Yes, as the devil, one of the one of his best roles, and he's only in it for about five. Oh minutes. yeah, and it's a great. Right. I mean, he delivers epic lines there, and so, but he's only in the first one, right? Yeah, and all I got to say is Jane Duty Gents won an Oscar for Jane Duty Ditch. I got tongue tied for <laughs> not for better Shakespeare in Love. Didn't hold a candle to Vigo Mortensen's five. Vigo Mortensen's James has got me doing it now for his five minutes. In the prophecy, uh, but yeah, no, the the prophecy, it is a franchise that I don't know why it exists. The first it's, movie's a lot of fun, though. I do know somebody that walked out during the first uh, that hated it so bad they walked out in theaters. There is no reason to hate that, and I know Glenn is a is a you know Glenn is notoriously loves crappy sequels, so he probably has a connection to one of these other fours. But uh, Prophecy Two was okay, and then it just went downhill from there. But it existed, and by the way. The other one that I, I wanted to briefly shout out, Three Ninjas. I'm going to talk about a franchise that should deserve uh, a lot more love than it gets. It should deserve. It, it should deserve. It does it deserve, deserve, and it should deserve it as well. I am going to talk about the Ernest P. Whirl franchise. Now, I know what you're thinking. People really – I mean, that's all – that's on a – that's everybody knows that. Yeah, that's on a whole other level. I mean, it, it, you know, it's weird though because it doesn't for a franchise. It changes his job is never the same. Sometimes he's a trashman. Sometimes he's a you know. Sometimes whatever. he's riding a cannon for a whole film. Yeah, I mean, and and they're always told with such cultural sensitivity. Ernest P. Whirl is a character, I, and I say this in all honesty. I grew up watching a lot of the Ernest films. They used to be made by Disney. Ernest P. Whirl exists in the same world to me, the same sort of humor as Medea. And, we, and we honestly, have, the fact we will never see Tyler Perry square off with Jim Barney and do a film where those two meet. I may have been the only one to buy a ticket, but I would have bought a ticket to see that that could have been fun. That would have been the Freddy versus Jason of stupid slapstick comedy. And with that, Bonehead Weekly Fun Sign. That's some interesting, uh, interesting choices from the Boneheads there, mate. Very interesting. Puppet Masters, yeah, that is obscure. The way that franchise kind of twists and yeah. turns and goes. Oh, like it goes in weird directions. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just like, was it seventeen parts? <laughs> I don't think it was that. Twelve. Yeah, you're close to twelve. I think. Like, but... it's how can it how can it be obscure if there's twelve parts? Like they've just kept I mean, making them. I mean, this this episode remains in the ether. So at some point in time, there will be that many, there and will you be, will be yeah. correct. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, they talked about the prophecy. That's a pretty good franchise. Like the first three, I was a big fan of. I, I didn't know there were there were more. They were done by Dimension, like they did with those Hellraiser sort of sequels. Yeah, um, right. I, think I mean, I knew about the Hellraiser. Scott Soisson, I think, directed a couple of them. Right. Um, and then you had uh, Ernest, of course. Talking Ernest. to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite franchise. Thank you, James. He's right though. Like Ernest took on all kinds of traits <laughs> in each film. Yeah. He, he adapted <laughs> to suit the film. They weren't going to let continuity get in the way of a uh, good, bad movie. One of them even um, mentioned Three Ninjas there. Yeah, just in, <laughs> just in the <laughs> Three Ninjas Go to Magic Mountain. I really need to. I really need to watch them again. Like, they were I fun. haven't seen them. I, Ninja Academy. Do you remember those ones? I do. I do. It's always. I always thought it was weird because I'm pretty sure it's the same guy from Big Trouble in Little China. It's with the. Um, <laughs> It's not the meat cleaver guy. The guy with the with the two um, gun belts, yep. the, two, the two bullet belts, and he's got the like the six shooters. Yes, which is so weird to have in a martial arts show. I mean, I they mean, do pull out Uzis. There were only so many names on Central Casting's list at the time. Yeah. <laughs> they were in all those Oriental themed movies. movies. Yeah, oh, it was always. Yeah, it wasn't Al Leong, no. who was the one I thought should have always been in those movies. But Al Leong's biggest problem was that he looked like like a Fu Manchu kind of, yeah. you know, guy. And he was like a top martial artist. But when you heard him talk, he was like, and he, which and he, cause he's the torture and lethal weapon. And he's just like, Oh, well, well, uh, yes, I can, uh, I can put on the torture for this guy. I'll be fine. He was like, this so weird, so weird. Like his voice does not match. It's his like, look it's at all. like when, um, Michael Berryman talks in weird science. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I'm very sorry. So sorry about that. Uh... All right. Um, take it away with your next, uh, Next little obscure franchise, mate. All right. Well, look, there were there were a bunch that I could have talked about in this spot uh, of franchises that I love and that I've seen all of the, the iterations of. But I decided to go in a different direction. And instead I'm talking, and this actually be, I think, a, a bit surprising when I come to the third one. But this is a franchise that I haven't seen. I had planned to watch them. Mm-hmm. But the first one, look, the problem with trying to watch these movies is that <laughs> approximately every 20 minutes I have to stop and have a nap. <laughs> They're, they're difficult to watch. This is the... And I'm, gonna, I'm talking about, of course, of the body, body chemistry franchise. Oh, my God. The greatest erotic thriller, weird erotic thriller series. Why is it? When you say body chemistry, all I think of is trade magazines. I remember like every month there was a new there body a chemistry. New <laughs> there's, I mean, funnily, there's, there's only four parts, but they came out really... Uh, Kind of cl- it's like they turned out one a year. It's like the Red Shoe Diaries. They just kept pumping them out. Yeah. Zelman King. Zelman <laughs> King is responsible for a lot. These what ones, a, funny enough, what were... What an in- industry were, that guy uh, was. Yeah. He was a one man. Yeah. Considering that he started out as the psycho on Trip with Teacher. It's like, it's amazing. <laughs> but that's where he went. Um, but th- funnily enough, this, this is, it, it is Corman produced, mm-hmm. this series. Yeah. And, but it was originally, it was like the Corman version of uh, Fatal Attraction. Yes. Yes. Which is great. And the first one, uh, it, they all follow this, this character, Dr. Claire Archer, who's like a psychologist. <laughs> but she she has a penchant, penchant for uh, violent, uh, dangerous sex Ooh. and always manages to <laughs> seduce whatever man she's around into participation. And then when they try and break up with her, she goes a bit psycho. Uh <laughs> The first one, the first one came out in 1990. It was directed by Christine Peterson, who uh, I'm sure you will be a big fan of because she directed Critters Three and Redemption, Kickboxer Five, yeah, as well as Deadly Dreams. I was going to ask you, like, 
I don't think I've seen these, but I know of them so well. You have. And you, I, even if you haven't seen them, you've seen I want to think they're very misogynistic, but then you go and say there's a female director, and I'm wondering, are they misogynistic? Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a female protagonist through, throughout the whole series. Yeah, like yeah. She is the... Um, and it's... Um, so in the first one, it's Mark Singer is... The, yet, the thing that is upsetting, like in the first two or three... He gets the the male lead always gets top billing, even though mm. that there's the misogynism. There's yeah. the, there's the misogyny. Yeah. They do not survive the film. <laughs> the ma- the male leads never survive. Yeah, she bumps them off in every film. Fantastic. Um. So it's Mark Singer is the Mark Singer is the guy, and Lisa Lisa Hessier Hessier is the um is plays the Claire Archer character, and in this and in the first movie, Mary Crosby, daughter of Bing. Wow. Is the and star of Ice Pirates is the wife. Wonder what Bing thought of this. Well, he was. I think he was well and truly dead by then. Where did he die? Um, anyway, that's another episode. Keep going. Prior to 1990, I believe. All right. Um, and in this one, it's very much a. The first one's very much a, um, a Masters of Sex type scenario where yeah. Mark Singer works in a lab conducting uh, sex experiments, <laughs> and she, as you do, and she's like. She's has this project where they they want to do like you know violent. They want to experiment and explore violent sexual urges and stuff. And this the lab that he works at, they will get a lot of money if they, this comes to them. So they mm. pitch for it. And of course, she seduces him. And <laughs> but then, you know, he wants to break it off. She does not. It goes it goes horribly wrong, and she kills him. But then. <laughs> Then body body chemistry too. <laughs> uh, the voice of a stranger comes along, Ooh. and she returns. It's the only time that same woman has played mm-hmm. the Archer character in two films. Uh, but in the second one, she becomes a radio DJ, Ooh. like doing a sex advice uh, <laughs> talk Dr. show. Ruth. And one of the callers is Gregory Harrison, star of Razorback, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's also dating. He he's a like a, a cop who's been uh fired yep. uh for being too violent. And it's the product that he's like you know, um was it, uh, abused as a child and like beaten, not not, yep. not sexually, but you know, physically abused as a child and by his father, and so that's kind of the only way he knows how to deal with things. Mm. And so he kind of he returns to his hometown and hooks up with his high school sweetheart, who's also a DJ on this radio station. But when he hears her offering this, like, you know, talk back sex advice stuff, he, because he doesn't want to hurt this girl that he likes. He doesn't want to inflict any of his issues. So he tries to go to her <laughs> to help him sort it out. Of course, she seduces him mm. and eggs him on. And when he tries to leave her and makes his decision, he bumps him off. It's like a reversal <coughs> of Play Misty for me. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And then... Body Chemistry 3 comes along. Ooh. Directed by Jim Wynorski. Jim Wynorski oh, takes over the franchise. Then you know we're onto something good. And, oh, and I should have mentioned in Body Chemistry 2, like this has a great cast, right? So Clint Howard turns up. John Landis plays another doctor in it. Jeremy Piven in an early role. And Monique Gabrielle turns up. It's an amazing cast. How does John Landis come into this franchise? Yeah. I don't know how it happened. I don't because know. Because he, he does cameos when he's mates with someone. Yeah. And I actually, I actually didn't write. Down, I don't know who directs Body Chemistry Two. Uh, it's an old one. That's all right. Yeah. Keep going. Um, so Body Chemistry Three, and this is when Jim Wynorski, you know, and it's a sign of the times. He turns it into a basic instinct type knockoff. <laughs> yep. Uh, but he brings in 
erotic thrillers, ro- erotic thriller royalty in Andrew and Stella Stevens. <laughs> so Andrew Stevens at the time, like he was doing all of those. Um, uh, uh, what was that? He did that one with the first yeah. one that kind of made Shannon Tweed. Hang on, who uh, were we talking about? Andrew Stevens. Andrew, Andrew Stevens. He did the Terror Within, yeah. Uh, One and two. Yes, I think so. Yeah. But he did. He he got really famous for doing the soft core. He was in Death Hunt right. and stuff. But he did the soft core. What's the one where he's this? The woman thinks she's being stalked, so she hires the security guard to to um. Yeah. She hires know. Andrew Stevens, and he he rigs up her whole house with security cameras, <laughs> and then know. just ends up perving on her, and then they <laughs> end up having an affair, and then you know, there's, and there's five of those. But I think Shannon Tweed, and then eventually Shannon Tweed's sister comes into the series. Oh, Jesus, it's great. But in this one. So Andrew Stevens comes in and his mum's in it too, Stella yeah. Stevens. Oh, Night Eyes. That was Night uh, Eyes. Night Eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, but Andrew Stevens, he's a TV producer <laughs> yeah. who wants to make a movie, or a, a film producer, who wants to make a movie about Claire Archer because she's you know killed these two men and got off. Yep. Um, so, and she, he hires her, like they, she becomes like the co-producer. And but then she seduces him, of course. And at the time, he's in, during the film, he's married to Morgan Fairchild, so another erotic thriller mm-hmm. in a, in a royalty. Um, Robert Forster, a drunk, he's like a drunken kind of asshole in it. Robert Forster ties up; he's great. Becky LeBeau, uh, ex ex Jimonowski uh, girlfriend and Jimonowski regular. <laughs> and in this in this in this one, it's Shari Shattuck from. Um, Hot Child in the City is the Claire Archer character. Right. And she basically, you know, bumps and grinds her way through. The show. She's the only real redeeming feature of this film. Um, although the Morgan Fairchild stuff is pretty sexy. I've only... <laughs> but, of course, she kills uh, Andrew Stevens uh, in this film. And then Body Chemistry 4 comes along. Once again, Wynorski directs. This time, Shannon Tweed. Plays yeah. the Claire Archer because yes, of you course know, you had she was well, the she would have been the number one name in. Wasn't Andrew Stevens in part four as well? He's in it at the beginning, but he he, he gets he or? gets killed. Okay, okay. And then Larry Poindexter <laughs> is the lawyer that she hires to defend her in the court case, where of course she seduces and, him. Andrew Stevens produced these or wrote them? No, he's in these movies. Just he's an just an actor in them. That's odd because he he's never just an actor. Like he's always he's got always his hands doing, yeah. in the pie. Okay. But these are these are Corman films, so Corman yeah. doesn't need Andrew Stevens to produce like maybe these I don't know. Yeah. I haven't I didn't do a lot of kind of looking into this could have been what started Andrew Stevens' uh, <laughs> descent into erotic thriller <laughs> into the world of erotic thrillers. Wow, like this is an obscure but it is an franchise. obscure franchise. I've got a couple of them on Laserdisc. Oh my god. <laughs> for those newbies that are, you know, listening to the show for the first time. Just know that we're in our element right now. <laughs> this is uh, this is where we we lurk and um, oh, that's. I know because no, no, I I misspoke that blight that um, Night Eyes yep. isn't the first one. Tanya Roberts. I don't know. And then it changes to Shannon Tweed. <laughs> Probably. I mean, Night Eyes. It doesn't get more After, obscure than that. <laughs> then, yeah. After the success of a woman scorned or scorned, as it is sometimes. Man, can you tell we as. worked in uh, video stores back in the day? This is the irony of this was that I remember at the time Blockbuster were a family store, so they did not carry any porn mm-hmm. titles. Like if the, the you know softcore cut R-rated, porn, yep. they refused. Yet they had the greatest erotic thriller section <laughs> yeah. known to video libraries. Absolutely, my uh, my first stint was with Movieland, and they did have the uh, the good porno section. Yes. 
Um, but I always gravitated towards these, not the pornos. Like, well, I was going to say, no. <laughs> the funny thing was, did I tell you that my first experience really with horror movies yeah. comes because the <laughs> movie land in Oakley, they had, I used to go to as a kid, mm. they had like see-through, these, they were, the shells were made out of perspex yep. stuff, so it was see-through. And they used to have all of the sections were had their own little kind of alcoves yep. back to back. The horror section backed up to the porn section. Fantastic. So when you took the porn, the horror title off the shelf, you could see the back of the pornos. Of course. So I spent a lot of time in the horror section <laughs> just absorbing horror films by osmosis because really I was just like, Jack, what's... And I was always disappointed when you had films like Jack and Jill <laughs> yeah. and they had the ones that just had the text on the back with no pictures. I'm like, this is useless. Yeah. But what's this dreamscape? Benjamin, you spent oh, a long time shines. with that cover in your hand. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I want to borrow monkey shines. <laughs> really? Well, no, but I've, I, I feel oh. like I've held it in my hands for the last 10 minutes. Check so. out Document of the Dead. This is yeah. great. <laughs> Girl School Screamers. Do you remember the, um, speaking of like a weird, obscure franchise, do you remember the Killing Spree movies? And they always had the same cover. It was a chick with her ass ripped out of her jeans or her shorts. Yes, yes. And had a chainsaw in one. Or a sh- yeah. machete. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never actually seen them. I've got one of the tapes. Three, one, two, and three. And I think each of them were just made as individual films and they rebranded them as Killing Spree just because um, they, you know, going to make more money Very that clever, way. yeah. And the covers all made it look like a franchise. And I think... Because um, they yeah. were just... They weren't from... They weren't actually, you know, images from the film. I think old um, old mate Rob from Video Hoarders has copies of those and talked about them on Facebook recently or something. But um, Right. I've only got... Go. I think I've, I've only got one of them. Yeah. I've been trying to track them down, but they're, they're pretty hard to Number come three by was the, the rarity. Yeah, Number right. Number three was the rarity. There we go. Um, <laughs> Good stuff. Hello and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls, tuning in from COVID ISO once more. Hooray! Now, as all of you know, I am definitely more of a mainstream film kind of gal, so this subject was set to be a bit of a challenge for me this week, uh, but ultimately in the end I had to choose from what I knew best. Alrighty then. Y'all ever watched a movie or see a particular actor and just be instantly reminded like of someone or a time well i have that with ace venturas these movies take me back to uh, my preteen years ew right and uh, actually cry laughing with my dad they're special and they're obscure that is for sure if you've seen both you'll notice that it's no secret they are nothing alike the second installment doesn't actually feature any of the main characters from the movie apart from Kerry. And if it weren't for Ace himself, in my eyes, I wouldn't be able to call this a sequel. In saying that, I can't even speak to it when it comes to Ace Ventura Jr. Pet Detective. In fact, I didn't even know it existed until a while ago. No Kerry, not interested. Sorry, not sorry. When Nature Calls is actually an exception to my golden rule that originals are always better than the sequel. But Nature Calls is 100% better than Pet Detective, that is for sure. It's less problematic, it's uh, definitely funnier, and it's way more quotable. In Pet Detective, Ace Ventura seems like a bit of a dick, uh, whereas in Nature Calls, he just seems like a bit of a quirky weirdo with ADHD. And the one thing I will say about this character is that even though it's a struggle to take him seriously a lot of the time, you cannot deny his love and compassion for animals, which I mean is one green flag wavy in the sea of red. I like to keep my segments free of politics, and I really won't go into it, but I would like to quickly mention that the first movie doesn't age as gracefully as I would like, and uh, for fans of the franchise, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. 
And with news of the third instalment uh, that has had the green light, I'm not sure how to feel on that. It was well known that Carrie didn't even want to make nature calls, so it doesn't give me much hope that he'll return for the third. And what's an Ace Ventura movie without Ace himself? It's actually been a real struggle to get through this without screaming quotes down the mic at you all, so uh, I might just quit while I'm ahead. In summation, you'll know how I feel about a comedy, and these ones just take me way back. They're weird and silly and definitely not for everybody, but hey, neither am I. That's my slightly simplified opinion this week, and I am sticking to it. Take care now. Bye-bye then, la hoosers. Ace Ventura is a pretty weird franchise. Like that tone between number one and two shifts completely. Like number one and two it, are yeah. different movies. Completely different movies. He's a lot more family friendly, I think, in the second one. He, yes and no. Like, but he's he's a lot more slapstick, definitely, yeah. in the second one. It's so weird, so weird. But um, that third well, movie, <laughs> dude, have you seen Ace Ventura Junior? No, no. Well, you want to borrow it? <laughs> it's like I haven't seen I haven't seen that I haven't seen Son of Mask either. The guy who directed Ace Ventura 3, or Ace Ventura Jr., I should say, um, Dave Mickey Evans, also did The Sandlot, which is a good film. I'm actually surprised that that, uh, Chloe did the Ace Ventura films and didn't do the Dumb and Dumber films franchise. Yeah, that's I mean, got, that's got. Uh, you can you can justify the obscurity with number two, the the prequel, the prequel, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber, which is amazing. Great title. And then they went back to the like they actually, you know, they went back to the original yeah. cast. They went, oh, you know, like bring this when back. they did that second one, I remember thinking, great title, Dumb and Dumber, amazing artwork on the posters, like because that yeah. was some good shit. I actually like the movie. And yeah, another movie didn't work for me. I mean, Eugene Levy pops up, and that's okay. But it's, uh, that uh, what's the name? Uh, the guy from NCIS is funny. That plays the uh, the Jim Carrey character. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but no, but uh, what's the name? Uh, Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols yeah. is in it. You know, I I am going to go back and rewatch it. I think I need to, because um, in my mind right now, I'm thinking about it and I'm laughing. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think now the pressure's off. Yeah. You expect it to be bad, you'll probably enjoy it. Because that was directed by another guy that's made so many great DTV sequels. I can't remember his name, but never mind. Yeah, we don't <laughs> Anyway, to. so when I proposed... He's crying right now. <laughs> when I proposed um, like the whole obscure franchises theme, I honestly thought this was going to be a bit of a stretch to come up with two or three to talk about. But the more I think about it and thought about it, the more there were. There were lots. Um, so let's just reel off some without going into them too deeply. And we've talked about these like off mic last week. You got the Scanners slash Scanner Cop series. Yeah. Um, what about American Pie? Because that descends into American Pie Presents. Yeah. And you like that recent one last year, which was Book Girls of Rule. Love or Girls Rule. That was Book actually really good. That was like a return to form. That one. I haven't seen it. Um, Midnight Run spawned some TV sequels with Christopher McDonald. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I you're, mean, you're going to want to watch well, them now because yeah. they're fun. Made for like, TV movies or yeah. a, a series? TV movies, yeah, um, right. like 90 minutes long or whatever. Ah, no, yeah. this I have to see. Yep. Definitely. Um, what else we got? Meatballs. Like, that is really weird because you've got fucking aliens and dead porn stars, like yeah. all from a summer camp movie. And they, they were so bold as to go from a, a regular summer camp coming of age movie to an alien yeah. actually landing on Earth, its parents saying it needs to go and experience the human condition. Like in part two, like how do you make that leap? Yeah, amazing. And then, um, well, what about the the Night of the Living Dead slash Return of the Living Dead franchise? That goes all over the shop. That's pretty weird. Amazing. The way that sort of broke into two, splintered off into different directions. Yeah. And um, this one's really gonna 
pleased our most loyal of listeners, Simon Harcourt, the Airbud series, right? Airbud series. Listen to this, man. Four sequels, seven buddy spin-off movies, two <laughs> Santa Paws movies, then you've got the Airbud Presents banner, which had MVP, MXP, Spymate, The Duke, Chestnut, Monkey Up, Pup Star 1, 2, 3, and 4, Pup Academy, Scaredy Cats, <laughs> and Super Pups 1 and 2. Now, if he hasn't seen them all by this time next week, he will have. He will have, yeah. I'm shocked. It's that, that series is really a victim of its own success. Man, there is a website for them, like dedicated to Airbud, and you've got these drop-down banners of all the different like, directions you can Who, go. I, out of the two of them, I thought Beethoven would have been the biggest success. <laughs> Isn't that what had five installments? They had five installments, yeah. yeah. No, nah, man, Buddies is like... Like, it's a dog that plays football, right? That's what Airbud... Or, or basketball. Football, football, basketball, soccer... Yeah. Gridiron, I think, um, and then the buddies movies like, come along. The thing I the don't puppies. understand, the thing I don't understand, and I've never seen, I've never seen any of them. So, but I don't care if the dog's the greatest basketball player known to man. <laughs> How do they let him on the team? How did the other team go? No, it's okay. You, you can have a dog. You have to watch the first one. Yeah. The first one's actually a decent family film. It's directed by Charles Martin Smith. You know, yeah, great fucking. Actor. I'm just hoping that it's like Gary Busey gets into a car accident and dies <laughs> and comes back as a dog. <laughs> And that's what it is. So in all the scenes, you actually see him doing it, but it, everyone else just sees the dog. Um, was it a few weeks ago, we mentioned the Tales for All series because Peanut Butter Solution. Like, if you want to call that a yes. franchise, that's pretty weird. Well, I found that the, the one, my mind naturally went to all the martial arts ones because yeah. martial arts are, are notorious for the constant blood sport, kickboxer. They all, they'll do. I actually watched the ones I was going to talk about on the show I would decide, and I'd never seen them before, but yeah. I thought the perfect opportunity was to watch the Tiger Claws yes. trilogy with Cynthia Rothrock. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the guy, but the guy, it, it's weird because unlike most of the other Cynthia Rothrock series, it's not built around Cynthia Rothrock. Yep. She's the sidekick kind of character. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the main cop who is not, English is not this guy's first language. <laughs> and it's super weird the way he, it, it's like he, I'm not sure if he didn't direct and write them as well. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's that weird. But the main villain that runs through at least the first two is Bolo Young yep. from uh, Bloodsport and Enter the Dragon and stuff like that. He, he's amazing. And one part in the second film, there he's he in the first film he ends up being he gets locked up in jail. The second film he escapes <laughs> with the help of these gangsters and they have to get out of whatever city they're in, New York or San Francisco, or whatever it is. So they steal a food van and they head off and they're trying to get into, they're trying to, I think, escape to Canada. Yeah. And at one point they pull over to the side of the road in this kind of truck stop and they're taking a break while the, they have to go to the toilet or whatever. Mm. And these cops pull up and they, but they want to order food from the food van. So Bolo Young, who's hiding in the van, is like, <laughs> he just puts on like the hat <laughs> and makes them like, he, but he just, he That's doesn't. a funny image if you know who this guy who is. This guy is. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck about what they've ordered. He just is like, oh, I'm just going to give you this. Yeah. And so when they complain, he shoots them both. <laughs> That is such an obscure franchise because, like, most people, you could ask anyone, have never heard of that. I'm sure. I've never right? heard of them. And yet, they they got a green light for a number two and then another three. And a three. number three. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> then you've got, like, I mean, we haven't talked about the actual franchise that's on our banner and thumbnail for this episode, and that's the Blood Fist series is because it? that's... I uh, thought that's what you were going to talk about. No, because I thought I'm going to put it on the banner so it's out there for people if they want to talk about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's got so many sequels, um, but none of them related to each other. So Don the Dragon Wilson, I think, is only the same character in part one and two. 
And then from there on, he's playing a different character with different a different characters. scenario. And then I think in the, the last one, it's a futuristic sci-fi movie. It's called Bloodfist 202, like 220 or something. Kick puncher. Yeah, and it's it's like cyborgy and all that kind of stuff, but weird franchise. One to uh, dive into if you like bad fight movies. The Yeah. Look, I was going to say, the complete opposite of that. The best one mm. that I was going to talk about if I didn't have time to watch anything I else. I hope I know where this is going. Yes. Probably not. Oh. Uh, it's no, it's too normal. Like it was is the Ip Man oh, yeah, yeah. trilogy, the first, yeah. the four. The Although fact, the fourth one's a bit the weak. Fact that got beyond part one is <clears throat> astonishing. Like just because And it changes tact. That's what I mean. Yeah. So like I mean, it's great. And then Samo Hung comes into it. Yeah. And so, it's all Donnie Yen, who who I who I absolutely I absolutely love. Yeah. But the the other one is the is the Once Upon a Time in China, which which is all that um uh now I'm gonna get his name wrong, Fung Sai Yuk. Yep. Uh, character uh, goes all the way through, and it's Jet Li in the. In yeah. the I think in pretty much all of them. I'm not, although I'm not sure because it goes. There's the first three. That's all Jet Li, mm-hmm. and then I can't remember if there's a four, and then five is uh, Once Upon a Time in in China and America. Yeah, he yeah, comes that's and, right. I remember that one. Yeah, they go on the they do the whole railroad thing kind of thing. I think I think maybe Jet Li comes back for that. I'm not sure. Um, Criterion have just released the box set. They Eureka released the box set, a box set on Blu-ray with the first three with amazing artwork. Yep. Criterion have released the five films in a box set with less right. stellar artwork. And it's a. Re- I've got to tell you, it's really. I look at them like, oh, which one do I? It's just astonishing to me when these sequels are made or when when they greenlight a sequel off the basis of the success of a first film, but then completely change it. Like on yeah. Buck, like when Number Two came along, it's like, wow, this is. But that's my favorite. My favorite. My favorite trilogy is No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah, yeah. Because the first one and the second and the third have, as far as I can remember, nothing. To, yeah. I mean, there may be a oh, he's the brother or something like that. But they're like they're in different well, countries. As you know, like the reason I love Number Two so much is because they do that. They change the trajectory. Yeah. But when they go so far, like to change it, this boggles my mind sometimes. Like, why even call this a sequel? Um, but quickly before and we... how do you get away with it? I know that's what I mean. <laughs> Who said this was okay? Boggles the mind. Before we uh, close the show, though, I wanted to just talk about those franchises that are obscure because they have fractured timelines. So, like the classic being Halloween, like that's got four timelines. You know, it's a yeah. choose your own adventure. Now. Yeah, now, like, and may in the future maybe have more. more. Like, you know, they just keep going back to the well and going in a different yeah. direction. Chainsaw Massacre did the same. Like, how many timelines we've got? Four of them, and then Universal Soldier. Three timelines. Yeah. It's just absurd. But yet, in and of their own right, like there's some good stuff in those, you know, in those tangents. Films. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> some you, of them. I love the, um, the Universal Soldier movies. I can't. I've never. Except, I've except never. The, the TV ones, which were like the official number two and three, which were TV, or TV like direct to DVD yeah. with Burt Reynolds and things like that. I've never, I ne- could ne- I've never watched a, a Universal Soldier film, I think and I like Chandra West. If you stick with the theatrical and ones, no matter that they kind of go in different tangents, solid series. Particularly yeah, right. those last two, which were directed by John Hyams, son of Peter Hyams. And yeah, Peter right. Hyams, legendary sci-fi director, was the DOP on them. Yeah, right. They are good. They I'm are actually, good. I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned Cyborg. Well, Cyborg 2. I thought that was too obvious. And He-Man. Masters of the Universe. Mate, I thought it was far too obvious. Like, yeah. For you to talk about Exactly. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, again, for those newbies, I have a penchant for Albert Pune Al- Al- movies, <laughs> <laughs> which only Cyborg 1 was one of, but he's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, we won't, we won't go down that rabbit hole, mate. <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a whole episode we haven't had yet. Yeah, right. But if you were to uh, stitch together every time I've mentioned them, you've probably got a whole season. You got Well, you've <laughs> definitely got a show. <laughs> yeah. So, <sighs> taking a breath. Shall we wrap it up? Sure. Okay. Well, if you want to catch our videos, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram is where to go this week. Ben and I will be um, reacting to the new Ty West movie X. Watch that one. That's going to be an interesting video. I, I can guarantee it. Uh, then on Wednesday, Chloe and I will be presenting our new episode of Up Late at 10.30. And then um, on Thursday night, Samantha Housen joins us again for another round of Lucky Dip. Lots of fun to be had. Please head to those places, um, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, whatnot, and share those episodes with the people you know. So I want to see us in their news feeds, please. Much love to uh, the Good Movie Monday team, Jarrett, Gamo, Chloe, Joe, Chad, and James. Not forgetting Tia behind the scenes and uh, Melissa Begg, who's going to be back on the show in a couple of weeks' time. And again, Samantha Housen. So we'll be back on Monday, next Monday, for a special Oscars episode. Are you looking forward to that, Benjamin? I certainly am. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a single uh, Oscars film uh, this year, so I'm... I've got a lot of cramming to do this weekend. You either cram or I carry the load, one or the other. <laughs> um, we're going to try to predict the winners ahead of the awards, um, which will be that night. So make sure you listen to it on the Monday just to uh, play along. Uh, any final Benedetta. thoughts? Any final Benedetta thoughts, Ben? Benedetta won everything because lesbian nuns. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so we're going to... Um, well, here's a sentence you've never heard before. Here's a good song from Kid wow, Rock. Wow, how... Okay. <laughs> I mean, good song and Kid Rock are never usually in the same Bender. sentence. But this one's from the third Crow movie, Crow Salvation, which is a totally weird and forgettable uh, and regrettable franchise. But this song's called Warm Winter. I reckon it's pretty good. You be the judge. We'll see you next week. Adios.
Thank <laughs> you.